0: We'll
1: Next report. And welcome to our latest podcast. I'm Thomas Holbrook.
2: I'm Stephen Kelly,
1: and I'm Mitchell Brown. And as you can tell, we have a new person right off the bat. He's there, saying who he is. (laughs) (laughs) What else would I
0: say? (laughs) I
1: Um, I we did not do an episode last week. The weather was
2: crazy,
1: and it was Memorial Day. Weather was kind of insane, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, we had all those, uh, not particularly thankfully in our town, but all the tornadoes and everything kind of made it sort of hairy, and we had some stuff come up, and you know how it is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Lack of sleep, and you think, oh, I can do this, and your body's like, no. And it's ri- I fall asleep in rain, so when it rains hard enough, so that's kind of, unless I'm doing something active at work, that's what happens, so. We have a new person with us today. We're growing, slowly but surely. And by Tomorrow, growing... the world. Tomorrow, the world. And, and by slowly, I'm not talking about my waistline here. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mitchell. Yes. Uh, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, who you are, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
0: Okay, my name is Mitchell Brown. Uh, a lot of people who are listening might be familiar with my name from Picking Up the Mule Skinner, which I used to write for. We'll get into that later. And um, getting into a new media format, and uh, I met Thomas whenever I was doing a story on him, whenever he was running for uh, Congress. Congress, that's right, as a libertarian candidate. And now I'm here to to do this. Um, uh, And
1: when I was running, it was the second time doing this. Um, I first ran. Actually, I first ran into you. The, when, the article in the Anime Club, right? Yeah, and that was during the time when there was that whole scandal with the not re- choosing not to renew the contract of a particular university president. Christmas
0: trees. <laughs> oh. Do you actually remember what? A...
1: Yeah. That,
0: that, oh. This is America. Christmas trees. Christmas trees make America.
1: Never mind the fact oh. that the darn thing was taken down
0: way before Paul right. Epsky was <laughs> Right. It's lo- just like uh, uh oops. That's you know, that's whether you could say subconscious anti Semitism seeping through or xenophobia, but hey there's a there's a Jewish guy who's president of the university now. Well, where'd the Christmas tree go? False pattern <laughs> he did it.
2: Well uh, next uh, thing these those Muslims are gonna be in here. Well, the funny part is,
1: some <laughs> some professor on campus that came through my line often enough um, in the morning basically said he probably wouldn't know what a Jew was if it bit him on the nose. Basically, and the
0: rem- he the he we're talking about is Greg Hassler. Just in case those who weren't in, uh, at UCM following the story in two thousand when it happened. Um, so yeah, it's just like oh my goodness,
1: it was just it turned into a giant mess and. One of the first things I noticed on Chopping Blocks you know, after a new president comes into, I guess, his job is journalism department kind of gets merged with another department.
0: Well, that, I mean, that's the thing. The talk comes from right after that, and it was supposedly numbers game, low-producing major, and but, of course, at, shortly after that story broke, with a coincidentally the journalism program no longer exists. It was, it was amalgamated into digital media production. I've heard people say, well, it was a direct cause because of that. I've heard people say it's because journalism was a low-producing major. We don't have evidence to support that that's why uh, it was done because of what happened with the Puddle off well, it,
1: it, But it certainly can, it could certainly be seen as a possible motivational factor. And they, Either way, they could have had justification for it, and I've been told that you know if you want if you want journalism, go to MU. They're more known for it and that sort of thing. And
0: which it which it, which is a valid a valid statement, but not everyone has the credentials or money to yeah. go to MU. Yeah,
2: MU is outrageously priced. It's like what is it like a? It's what is what 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 is UCM now per credit hour?
0: Um. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it has gone up.
2: It's out, it's like almost, it's nearly three times more to go to MU. I know
0: my sister. Um, her fir- she was a biology major. Her first semester was at MU, and if it wasn't for a scholarship, she would, she wouldn't have been able to do it.
1: Um, my friend Dan Marshall, were not for the fact that he was a graduate assistant, getting a stipend, all my yards, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be working on his master's at MU at all yeah um he originally graduated from u c m with his bachelor's and now he's at m u so it it's a lot of it's price and a lot of it is and a lot of it is you know it's a combination of things that I'm looking at and realizing oh man, because there there have been people who decide to leave and go to places like Webster University which is has is a bit more known in terms of journalism than the UCM. Never mind the fact that the Mule Skinner has won awards in the
0: past. About stories about fire <laughs> Well <laughs> That's the most recent one. The most recent award the Mule Skinner has won was about a big house fire.
2: I live right over next to that, I guess. I was at work. My wife um, I live in those apartments behind the gas station. Uh-huh. And there was apparently hundreds of people standing around outside. Like, that was the only entertainment they had ever had in their lifetime was that house
0: do, exploding. Do you think uh, <laughs> a, a large house fire warrants an award? Oh, dude.
2: I mean, they were treating that house fire like it was the Columbine Massacre locally. It was. I mean, yeah, that's big news. That and the Hitman thing that happened are, like, the two big stories in this town. But, dear God, like, if we had a 24-hour news channel here in this town, that would have been plastered all over it, you know, We've, we've discovered that there was hundreds of gas tanks inside of this house uh, we think al qaeda might have some ties we're not sure let's go to Joe on the field here you know <laughs> well and
1: it's it's kind of it's kind of like the conflict between being a being like this smaller city let's say and and people trying to change it into more of a cosmopolitan cosmopolitan type of thing and it's just not ending very well
0: well my my opinion about that is is that that's not going to happen one thing what i'll what i'll tell people often is for there to be actual news coverage that warrants paying attention to you have to live somewhere where there's actually something going on there's not a lot going around as far as like growing pains of this place becomes more cosmopolitan you have outside influences Culturally, ideologically, whatever, from the university, but then you have another stream, another current that uh, that's not really in alignment with that, doesn't really lock up with that. Yeah. And it's going to
1: keep. And it's like there are people trying to stop the expansion of this town and everything oh, yeah. else, except at some point that's going to fail. I've been noticing that as well
2: oh, it's, it's been failing for a while when I moved here in 94 and I when I when I first moved here I was in middle school I was, well, I was in sixth grade and my parents came here to go back to school and like the town was had way less people um, nothing was open on Monday like not only the weekends but Monday It mm-hmm. had such an old school like Andy Griffith vibe it was weird because it was Yes, those vibes are weird. It was bigger than, you know, because I I originally, you know, I lived in Kansas City for a while, down in South Kansas City, but before that I came from a town over in Kansas that was really small. And Mm -hmm. I come here, and this town's bigger, but it had this weird, like, you know, 1950s vibe that was just bizarre. Now it's, you know, gotten a lot bigger. And a lot of the people that, you know, the townies that are, like, more on the upper level of things, they don't like that. They, they're man, mm-hmm. you know, they've gone out of their way to block uh, the possible target coming. out of that that's sh- more Walmart.
0: They want to try to maintain an equilibrium.
2: Yeah, they don't want it to go crazy like the Springfield where there's 93 Chinese restaurants in the town and stuff. Which
0: what's wrong with that? <laughs> I mean, that... but what you well, you hit on a very good point because a lot of times the small town mentality focuses on insularity. That this is you have you have urban suburban and rural and with rural communities you have a protectionist type of mentality we don't want to become like urban metropolis xyz or even suburban uh municipality that's a to that so we develop a protectionist insular mentality a lot of times xenophobia goes along with that
2: Well, i'm going to bring up a little bit of my my uh my attachment to British television, but there's a, a, a show called uh, the league of gentlemen. And one of the main plots of that show is that it's this town that's incredibly backwoods, like mm-hmm. to the point where uh, like people are inbred and stuff in the town. And like, um, the main plot is that the, the city is going to build like a large highway to it. And everyone in the town's flipping out. And there's these two characters that look like they're half pig or something that, they, whenever someone comes into their shop that is not, you know, a local, they freak out and accuse them of stealing and doing all this other stuff, and they ultimately end up, it's a it's a dark, com- a black comedy, they end up uh, accusing them of all this stuff and then killing them. <laughs> is it animated? No, it's a, it's a live action I show. Mark, uh, Mark Gaddis, it used to run on uh, Comedy Central a long time ago, but it's so weird that, mm-hmm. like, Comedy Central didn't really have anything that, didn't know what to do with it, but I'd recommend it if you, if you like weird, off-the-wall dark stuff. But I digress, that's way off-topic. But that's kind of <laughs> right. the mentality that you get with this kind of thing.
1: And and there's this struggle, and it's and the it's same thing that's happening with, say, Leighton. It's, the way I see it, it's not that there's no action going on. It's, it's a different type of action that you're looking at. And some people, it jibes with them. Other people, it doesn't. And Leeton's changing in that way too, not in a major way, but it actually used to have more people officially on the little placard right outside, right as you're getting in there. And I graduated from their high school in 2002. It used to be over 600 people. Now it's even less, but it's different people with different mentalities that have moved in. Mm. It's changing now, and now there's actually. Two restaurants that have opened up. There. <laughs>
0: <Woo-hoo>! <laughs> <laughs> a, a small town style. Are you yes. are you saying that the the town only had one restaurant? It had a cafe and that sort of thing
1: when I was like in the third grade, and then that went away, and then and another one came back, after, of course, years after I graduate, called uh, Jody's Place, and then another one opens up. And now more and more stuff is kind of happening there because, well, kids need something to do after school other than go to
2: Warrensburg. Or cook mess. Sit in the parking lot out in front of Hastings and drive their cars around because Vin Diesel did it.
0: But um, Did that happened when you were working at Hastings. Oh yeah,
2: the entire town of Leeton. I'm I'm generalizing here, but <laughs> like when I worked at Hardy's, the big thing to do was to sit out in front of Hardy's and do this, and then they got constantly kicked out of Hardy's. So when I started working at Hastings, as if these people were following me, and <laughs> and it's I'm not even lying. Almost everyone was from Leeton, Kingsville, or uh, Knob Noster, and I don't know why they would drive all the way over here to sit out in the parking lot and like underinch drink and stuff.
1: And and <laughs> it was just to get away from from the from like all the like small town boring stuff. There's nothing to do here and that sort of thing. And
0: right to them, uh, to somebody in Leeton or Holden or whatever, Warrensburg becomes what Kansas City is to me. It's yeah. somewhere to get away from the small town BS mm-hmm. because it's even smaller there. <laughs> well, in a sense, but. Anyway,
1: you mentioned new media, and that's kind of what we're a part of—is new media. It's not, and the thing is, we're not the Associated Press. We're not, but we're also not Fox News either. We're kind of, we're kind of different from a lot of other people because, no, no, we're. This is not an infomercial. I I swear it's not. But <laughs> um, what we do is we tend to cover things that get misrepresented or outright attacked, kind of like I personally on on some topics have just enough insight to know what the perspective of a particular point of view is that's not necessarily mainstream or it has a dedicated following, but because of the state of more established media today, we we're running into kind of almost a brick wall in terms of, you know, adequate coverage. And by adequate, I mean oh, simply saying these are who these people are, this is what they believe. Whereas, say, you get people who advocate for 9-11 truth, and suddenly you get a popular mechanics
0: article that refers to people questioning the events as unpatriotic Americans, which... You have a history of that going all the way back to McCarthyism. Mm -hmm. To me, that's that's an an empty label, almost like, even though, in the context of when somebody questions funding for Israel, and they get called anti-Semitic based on that alone... That has that no validity to it. That becomes an empty label at that
2: point. It's just a way to shut people up as quickly Quite as you can is. without doing
0: anything. I, I mean, never mind the fact that the United States turns around and funds
1: the enemies of Israel makes you realize maybe having a stable Middle East is not the actual policy after all. Maybe it's to oh, yeah. keep everybody fighting each other.
2: We, may, we can make good money fighting a proxy war through different countries. I mean, that's the bad thing with it.
1: And that And that's... And that's one of the things that I came to realize when you're looking at a documentary like Fox, going, well, yeah, Fox is biased, but so. But even one of the experts that was interviewed said, yeah, everybody has a bit of a slant, but Fox has the biggest one of all. And I'm like, well, MSNBC has a really big slant now, and Fox is covering other stuff that otherwise wouldn't have been covered if the previous person
0: who had been in office is.
1: In office now,
0: it with, depends on who is in office. With with the issue of Fox, you also have a larger audience than than MSNBC. So if you have, whenever George, when uh, during the Bush administration, uh, Fox News was the echo chamber. I wouldn't say there's really much difference between at that point between Fox News and Pravda. You can you can it can influence more people. So that's so this is an idea of the owner or a corporation having influence over a news organization. So I think that's why a lot of times people point to Fox. And they could
1: be just as easily pointing to the American Broadcasting Corporation, CBS, other groups. The pro- problem is you see more and more of these groups buying out more and more papers. Now there's an effort to try to rebuy the Chicago Tribune and give it back to the community
2: yeah I which is,
1: which is rather interesting um, of course some of the people behind trying to do that some of their views I don't agree with but I can also see how something can get better if a community owns it and if said community has an understanding of how businesses are supposed to work while maintaining actual ethics. And you, you have the background in terms of
0: being accused of being <laughs> yeah being accused of being unethical because I covered uh, a third party it was the story I did on you, and the story I did on Jonathan Dine and then a lot of people don't know that a couple days before the election, Jim Gray, who was the vice president candidate for the Libertarian Party came to speak, and I wanted to, initially I was going to cover it for the Mule Skinner, and then Andy Lyons, who was the news editor at the time, sent me a message saying that we've received complaints that the Mule Skinner supports the Libertarian Party, so now I'm going to have to pass on this one, talk to Matt Birdmeyer at the Digital Bird, and initially he was resistant too. And, and it's it's one of those things where
1: and this is why I point out that there's no way to be truly objective about anything in life, but you can be as fair as possible.
0: You can down train to down journalists are trained to downplay their own biases, but it it can't be completely extingu- extinguished.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, because like, you know, one of the things that you know you were ultimately accused of was basically taking the side with one of the political parties and like giving them, uh, you know, not letting you basically were were told that you didn't that you were reporting too much on their ideologies. I have never read any sort of political posting or watched you know a television program where they don't allow the person running for office to tell what their political leaning is because why else would you write the article? I mean, you end up with the kind of ridiculous junk that you see on like 2020 or something where they ask them. So uh, I see that's a Prada handbag. Um, that looks pretty nice. You know, hey, are uh, you you know? you ought to go on e-television with your wardrobe and, you know, crap that no one cares about. That's right. what may, makes me angry when I hear that. Crap. It
0: was, it was, for instance, whenever Matt Birdmeyer he sent me a series of emails about this that I've kept, and just a couple months ago in a, a sit-down meeting with him, the issue came up again, and he told me that on, an, on a separate issue that he questioned my news judgment. And I said, no, I question your news judgment, bringing up, the Jim Gray incident and he told Anna uh, some of you told me to blackball a source he told me in one of the and in his email he said I don't care what Randy Lancrayer has to say not wanting me to talk to the person who, who was putting on the event and his, his attempt at justification was uh, the, the last one you did it, it was just Randy talking about the party's ideology and I said Randy was Thomas's campaign manager that's an essential source if you're going to interview a candidate oh, yeah. to also interview their campaign manager.
2: And assuming that you're not going to, you know, talk to someone like that is is ridiculous and it kind of points towards rather than him trying to stay objective, it sounds more like to me he's trying to suppress something that he doesn't like.
0: Right. Which he I said I during our when he and I were talking, I said I took him to task on that. I said, "Because you're a democrat, you want to see a Democrat on the cover of the Mule Skinner, and he was like, "Do you really think that?" And just tried to try to play it off. But I have I have legitimate reason to think that he said. Also, uh, in the emails and the conversation, there were other candidates you could have covered. <laughs> well, why was why is that essential or possible? Or what does he mean when he says other candidates? If you will look at the political coverage of the Mule Skinner last fall, you haven't even split. There were. Two Republicans who made the cover, being Vicki Hartzler and David Pierce, and you had two Libertarians that made the cover, Thomas Holbrook and Jonathan Dine, who was usually covered but missing from the equation. And uh, to cover Claire McCaskill's appearance at the union was offered to me, but the, te- the text requesting that I do it came in minutes before I had to be to class. I would I would have loved to have done that.
2: It would have looked good in the portfolio, but I had to be in a class. Well, yeah, and it's it's the thing is, you know, there's no way of getting around the fact that there are people out there. The one thing that bothers me is you have this dualistic two-party mentality going right now, and I hate the fact that if you even expouse any sort of information that you might be – you know, leaning towards one of the, the the third parties, whether. Go ahead and throw your vote away. Oh, yeah, I, I love that. Well, and my, my thing that, that drove me crazy last year was I was pretty, you know, blatant that I did not like Mitt Romney. Mm-hmm. But, and it, I, I had multiple people when they would come up and ask me something about that, and I'd say, I don't like Mitt Romney, they would jump me, you know, you're just going to vote for Obama and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm not going to vote for either of them. I'm going to vote for, you know, I'm going to come around and say, I voted for Gary Johnson because I saw the other two candidates and said, nope, no thanks.
0: Right, and another thing going back to me accused of being unethical with the, the conversation and the emails with Matt Birdmeyer, he had said that during the coverage of Jonathan Dine, is like I was told that you came out and supported uh, the candidate in your coverage. You couldn't do that. No, that's not what I did. Dine had asked, as anybody who was voted Libertarian, and who has considered voting libertarian? And I raised my hand that I had considered, but I never had, and then explained the reason why because there seems to be uh, a high amount of pluralism in the party. That does not equate to support. An yeah. interest does not equate to support.
2: And there's a lot of people, like there's a big campaign now from people on the left side of the spectrum to where they're trying to equate. Libertarianism and any sort of, you know, alternative as you, you don't see this nearly as much. The reason I said that I'm not attacking the left, What I'm uh, you don't see it quite as much with right wing people because the Tea Party can be argued to have some facets of libertarianism in it. But I will, that's there can be an an economic so an, an, an
0: economic overlap. Same thing with yeah. the Constitution Party. There's an economic overlap, but not
2: on the social issues. Definitely not, but the left-wing people, and I know people that have gone on to me about this, and it's always exciting, um, hate the Libertarian Party for some reason, and it's just like, you know, it makes you kind of sit there and say, okay, really, guys? You know, you have other fights you might want to deal with right now instead mm-hmm. so of attacking the up-and-coming people that are trying to come in and break the kind of stalemate that we have going I right th- now. I
0: think one of the reasons why so many liberals or leftists or Democrats hate the Libertarian Party is, is because it has an ability to take away votes from Democrats. Oh, it has a college pe- appeal. It has a youth appeal. Uh, if you look, I mean, if you were to look at a, a profile of who is a young libertarian, it's often somebody who is fiscally conservative mm-hmm. but socially pluralistic. Uh, might have gay friends. Mm-hmm. So the issues that Santorum. And Bachman uh, oh, <laughs> harp on about it, they're not they're not an open audience to that but it's somebody who is uh, may have voted for Obama and is displeased with with what's going on in his administration and and
1: basically this is kind of a new form for Mitchell Brown um, you were also we do have a bit less than five minutes left if we go over a little bit that's fine because Something else also happened to you while you were working for the meal scanner. Well, and technically,
0: least... I mean, I was I was working my butt off, but I wasn't being paid. Well, we're all volunteers, which can be positive and negative as far as writers. Yeah. And um, you had written an article about a group called the Vienna? Visitor. Vienna Circle, yeah, headed oh. by Brandon Christian. And it was just a sophisticated... Uh... Focusing on debate and discussion of political and philosophical ideas. And it's it's just, it was just a way of helping each other expand
1: their own minds and what wound up happening it did not show up in the
0: online version of it but in the print version, which okay. I'm holding right here.
2: Maybe we should uh, what if we should scan that and throw that up in the show notes so people can see.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah that would I be a good idea. A, and in fact, I do have a scanner which your
2: stuff is sitting on, so that's going to come in handy, but Explain what uh what, what, the, what oh, the problem is here. Jan-
0: January 24th, uh, I picked up the Mule Skinner, just like, oh, my story about the Vienna Circle is going to be there. And I saw this headline, Mitchell Talks About Vienna Sausages, <laughs> and under it I see, you know, the photo I took, on the left side is two members of the group, on the left side is Danny Province, on the right side is Brandon Christian, and I sent... And I have the email. I tend to save all my emails. The placement and who these two individuals were and under it, this is a photo of two guys standing on Pine Street squinting from the sunlight. Fascinating. <laughs> and I'm like, this, this is completely this is unethical. This is disrespectful to me. Oh, yeah. This is disrespectful to my sources. This is disrespectful to the very practice of journalism. And I turned in, and since then I I, invo- I informed the news editor at the time, I'm not going to write for this publication anymore. I am I did one more opinion piece and then a feature story about the Secular Student Alliance. It was uh, taken from my advanced reporting class because I felt their story needed to be told. And that's it. I was done after that.
2: That is incredibly awful. I mean... Yeah, here, just take take a gander at I mean, it the, one more time. The, the picture is just amazing because, like, it's... I mean, you <laughs> can't... I've never seen, unless it was the onion or something, the just the the, the you have a very serious article and then just someone. It, it honestly comes across like someone was purposely trying to sabotage it, or someone was, I, I was lazy and doing a placeholder. I, I was. I That's what happened. Was it was it was a placeholder, but
0: through whoever's incompetence, uh. It went out like that when it wasn't supposed to. I was told it was an accident. I have to taking that at face value. Okay, if it was an accident, but that is the headline is the biggest part of the story. I don't see unless Mr. Magoo was the editor. I don't see how that goes to print. I don't did and I I one, another decision that influenced another reason to influence my decision was to leave. I was never told a name. Of who did it? I wanted to sit down with them and ask them, "Why did you do this? Why did you need, feel the need to disrespect my name and my work?" I mean, somebody had to know who did it. It's not like the Yater Ghost flew into the room and typed it up. <laughs> they, they fe- I think they feared that I would there'd be some type of physical repercussion or something like that. Or I'd go after them. No, I just wanted to name to sit down and talk with them and ask, "Why did you do this?" And and that's part of the
1: part of the thing is that I. You know, it's just, oh, man, that just kind of boggled my mind, too, and th- that's why here what I do, um, part of what I do is, and I and I do accept outside submissions for the magazine, which which very few have taken me up on it yet, but but as things go along, I'm sure it will, more and more of that will come about, I leave people. I correct basic grammar and spelling, that's it. We don't do Associated Press format, we don't do other formats. I leave it up to the writer and their style, because the more that you alter a document, the more that you, you alter the intent of that document, and you can edit something to say anything you want it to say or make somebody sound more intelligent, less intelligent, and that's when I realized what needs to happen at some point is, yes, yeah, guidelines are great, but at some point you have to let the reporter, the writer, you have to let them tell the story and you have to let them, you know, have their, you know, eyes on the prize, so to speak, so that other people can look through that person's eyes and say, wow, it feels like I was really there and this was happening. Instead of, it's gotten to the point where things are too politically correct, to the point where we're afraid to rock the boat, so to speak. It's, not, it's no longer about, let's be fair, let's, let's give equal time, let's do this and that. It's about
0: people who are letting media doing the thinking for them. And, I would uh, say that's the fault of the person. That's the fault of the simple-minded person. And it, and it can be, but also when you have decades and
1: decades of the New York Times having credibility, and
0: then it be, being kind of like, oh, whoops, we screwed up. And Are like you talking Jason, about Jason Blair? But still, that's one person. That's not a representation of the entire or- organization. True. But you also have had other instances of people making stuff up
1: and it would take months to catch it because mm-hmm. people have gotten to the point of that's the media's job. Yeah. And what one of the thing, and that's one of the things I came to realize about documentaries like Outfoxed. Mm-hmm. They almost missed the point. Mm-hmm. People over-relied on media and are suddenly shocked when a venue... Bush's point of view shuts out all others, and people are like,
0: oh my God, I've been deceived, but let me go to MSNBC, they're much better, or let me go to CNN, yeah. they're much better. I guess the, the opposing thing, and from what I hear from a lot of you know, PR people who seem to be anti-media, there's one thing, you're, you're talking about one extreme of somebody who just believes whatever is in the media. You have the opposite... Somebody sees it, it's factual, it's not in alignment with, the pers- with their own perspective, and they disregard it. Yeah. So it, it could go to either extreme, and, and neither, neither one produces positive results. And that's the issue at hand. I came to
1: realize that during the 1800s, early 1900s, when you had the muckrakers, an eighth-grade education meant a lot more than it does now. You had more people willing to think for themselves as opposed to people who are willing to go along with the crowd. One of the goals of the next report: one, give people a voice that otherwise wouldn't have one, and two, we don't try to tell you what to think. We just ask you to think, and we give you something. Everybody, at least I hope, something to think about, even if they disagree. Because it's Aristotle once said that's the mark of an of an educated mind. Excuse me, an educated mind to entertain thought without accepting it. In other words, if you can at least hear somebody out and go, I can see where you're coming from, I respectfully disagree, but I can see where you're coming from, then,
0: you, then I feel that if I can get somebody to say that, then I've done my job. Well, to me, I'm a, I'm a proponent of what you could call the, the free market of ideas, and it's not even as... I think the more... That's the reason why I cover libertarians, they have a third-party view. I think the more voices that are on the table, the more healthy it is for a democracy. Not necessarily if you take two oppositional views, put them in a public forum, a public debate, it's not you don't necessarily have to say, oh, I see where you're coming from, but you have the opportunity to deflate and refute that person's point of view. And without the, without the free market of ideas, we don't have that dialogue.
2: Or we so, don't have as
0: rich of a dialogue.
2: Yeah.
1: Because, I mean, how, how many... How many media entities have you noticed getting bought out by large corporate interests? And it's a business. And oh, how, how often have you read the intro textbook to journalism, um, elements of news reporting, where they just skewed things by saying, even though statistically people are trusting media less and less, they still go to it. And they, they don't even refer to a lot of people as bloggers. They refer to them as quote-unquote citizen journalists, which... Well misses the point.
2: Well, you know that, like, for a time, I did work for a video game website, and you know that I was actually asked to change review scores a few times. That was one of the main reasons why I left, you know, doing that, because at the beginning it was like an upstart, grassroots, you know, thing where we were these, this small entity that suddenly became, according to, like, various blogging or, uh, trackers and stuff, one of the top ten gaming websites in the nation if not the world, it was out of England. And uh, all of a sudden, as we got big, we started, we, we used to do reviews where we would go out and buy review copies with our own money and review them. Well, we started getting these reviews all of a sudden. And I remember specifically one time I was reviewing a uh, Wii, a Nintendo Wii video game about with Ninja Turtles in it. It was like a fighting game. It was a pretty cool game. I gave it like a 7.5 or something, and I get an email back, and it was basically like, "Well, Metacritic, you know, was uh, has it up there at a slightly higher score. You might think about moving that up." Mm-hmm. And you know, that's not the first time that's happened, but I was like completely flabbergasted that our company was in, taking part in something like that because you know you'd always hear about uh, companies such as Ubisoft, especially doing that. They would you know threaten, "We're going to pull games from you if you don't you know rate this higher." And, you know, and that's on a small scale. That's, that's video game journalism. I can only imagine the crap that goes on in the back rooms of, like Fox News and stuff like that. I mean, you look at some of the News Corp scandals that have been going along, especially over in other countries like the U.K. with uh, Rupert Murdoch getting in all the trouble he's been in. And, you know, where there's obvious political bribes going on, where uh, people that work for World, News of the World are hanging out with high-level people. It's like... Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and and that's and that's part of the pro- pro- part of the problem that we're facing today. Um and to close with an example, I I frequent a website that talks about Linux and free and open source software called Elixir The main the person in charge of editing and this is kind of rare He came out and said, yeah, there's a particular point of view being displayed in this discussion regarding this article that I'm not comfortable with. But he came out and said it. Nowadays, you have people who are so afraid to say any point of view because they don't want to come off as quote-unquote biased. And therein lies the problem. Um, I think we do need to have future dialogues, especially on things like that. And that's kind of why this entity exists. And with that, I'm, I'm assuming we're kind of over, aren't we? Oh, yeah. But that's all right. Um, next time, we're going to talk about another interesting topic, maybe something, a trend that's changing. We are everywhere. We're going to soon be everywhere. Even on Tumblr, even though Yahoo bought it out. <laughs> even though I'm very, very sad about it. But that's okay. As long as they don't turn it into geo cities, I'll be fine with it. <laughs> um, the TheNextReport.com, you'll see a little social media bar at the top of our website. Our issue, third issue is out, working on the fourth. Um, Steve wrote about an ECW documentary that was not authorized by the World Wrestling Entertainment. Uh, very interesting read. Uh, feel free to it's in PDF. Feel free to download it, print it out, share it, all that good stuff. Entertain yourself, educate yourself, empower yourself on Thomas Holbrook.
2: I'm Stephen Kelly,
0: and I'm Mitchell Brown. And welcome Mitchell Brown. Let's clap. Yay.
2: Yay! I'm here now. <laughs> bye bye. Thank you for listening to the next report with your hosts Thomas Holbrook the Second and Stephen Kelly. Our intro music is from JT Bruce. It's called Plunge in Hyper Reality. And it's from the album Dreamer's Paradox, available for free at gemendo.com. Any news clips used are utilized under fair use. And please feel free to visit us at thenixtreport.com where you can leave feedback and see show notes.